Welcome to Building the Future, Freedom, Prosperity, and Foreign Policy, a podcast series focused on updating the United States soft power playbook to meet the hopes and aspirations of developing countries because it's in America's interest to do so. I'm Dan Rundy, Senior Vice President at CSIS. There are a lot of global challenges out there, so let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Building the Future with Dan Rundy. I'm here with Congressman Joe Wilson, who is the chairman of the National Security and Foreign Affairs Task Force to the Republican Study Committee, the RSC. The RSC recently published its National Security Strategy, a solution-driven package that preserves American leadership and promotes U.S. foreign policy at home and abroad with the interests of the American people. I thought that the strategy was a very important contribution by the RSC, and it proposes a largely internationalist orientation. In my view, it's largely a reaffirmation of a conservative international direction for the country, and that's a very good thing. Moreover, the strategy proposes more than 130 ideas and solutions to countering China, Russia, Iran, and other U.S. adversaries. So I'm really happy to have Congressman Wilson with us today. Congressman Wilson, thanks for being with us. Well, Dan, it's an honor to be with you. And it's also a real honor for me to serve as the chairman of the National Security and International Affairs Task Force. And it's so important that we have with the Republican Study Committee, a wonderful leader, Chairman Mike Johnson of Louisiana. In the tradition, people should know the Republican Study Committee One of the founders was now Vice President Mike Pence. And so you can see there was a real intellectual background of working together for conservative alternatives. And Dan, something that I really appreciate is that so often perceived that conservatives are negative when in fact we have a record of always having a positive agenda as in contrast to what may be proposed. In this report that we have, over 130 different suggestions, changes, reforms, uh, transparency of addressing the dangers that we have facing us today, particularly from a growing challenge of the People's Republic of China and the aggressiveness that we've seen, sadly, of the Russian Federation, in addition to the challenges that we have from Iran and international terrorism. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to ask you why you all published this report and what prompted the RC to put this together. Now, I think you've addressed some of that, but I suspect it may also be the timing in the run-up to our election in 2020. I always thought that the Republican Party ought to be the party of ideas, and I certainly think this is certainly in line with that. It, it really is, and this does show that we have a positive agenda for the American people. And hey, President Trump, I want to give credit, really has change things in a very positive way. And Dan, I've actually lived it. I was there last year for Indian Independence Day on August the 15th in New Delhi with Prime Minister Narendra Modi. And then later in uh, Houston at the Howdy Modi event, 50,000 people welcomed Prime Minister Modi to the United States. It was the largest welcome program in the history of the United States. But to see the relationship of Donald Trump being there with the Prime Minister of India and then the positive steps that he's taken He's renamed Pacific Command PACOM to Indo-PACOM. What a sign of respect as we now change the orientation completely of India to become a strong and valued ally of the United States. Also, I had the opportunity to live this last year. I'm the ranking member on the Organization of Security and Cooperation in Europe, and it's bipartisan. 
and the Helsinki Commission, and I was grateful to see this in Vienna, uh, different allies of the United States working together. In fact, it was all unified. And in fact, there was only one country somewhat left out. It's called the Russian Federation. But it was great to see the relationship. And then, remarkably enough, in January, I was on Codel Pelosi, and I had the opportunity to visit Poland to Krakow. It was so inspiring to see the love and affection of the people of Poland for the United States and the great respect and appreciation of Donald Trump. But the a real highlight was on the Codel to be in Jerusalem. I led the delegation on March 18, 2017, with the opening of the embassy in Jerusalem. And it was just remarkable to see, again, the appreciation, particularly by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, of his relationship with Donald Trump. And over and over again, I've seen the success of a foreign policy that can be proactive, which has been done by President Trump. And of course, hey, we have a situation, the media may not cover it. But we know the facts are that the relationships that we have, whether it be with Boris Johnson in uh, London or the president of Korea, the prime minister of Japan, all around the world, there's a really positive relationship with the United States, with the president having a very positive impact. I think those are all fair points, Congressman. I'd love to double click on this issue of India. You've seen that there's been border disputes between China and India in the last couple of weeks. Because of their agreement with China, they've agreed not to use weapons. So there was actually sort of hand-to-hand combat in sort of the most basic of ways. But a number of Indians were killed. There's been a call for a full economic boycott. I actually think that China's bad behavior is driving uh, folks that are, let's call them sort of fence sitters in Asia to kind of into our camp. I think to the extent that there was any reluctance to make friends with the United States. And I think some of the things you described, I think make the case for us, you know, the Indian diaspora is very large and important in the United States, has been an important contributor to the well-being of the United States. There's significant talk about pulling out of the ground any Huawei telecommunications. They're gonna outlaw TikTok. They're gonna do a whole series of things to economically punish the Chinese for this. I think it's about time. I'm very happy with this. And Dan, I appreciate you bringing up the specifics. I was going to bring up about TikTok, but hey, you're ahead of the curve. And indeed, the relationship with India is so important. It's really personal to me. My dad served in India with the Flying Tigers in 1944. Really? And so I'd be honored for people to come by the office. You'll see a picture of him standing in front of the Taj Mahal in 1944. And so with the background that I had, I work very closely with the diaspora in South Carolina. And hey, one of the members of that diaspora is quite well known. Her yes, name she is, is Ambassador <laughs> Governor Nikki Haley. But I. That's um, exactly right. A fun fact is that my real estate practice was to represent the Indian American community by hotels and motels across South Carolina, which they proceeded to buy a majority of them. Actually, the uh, welcome crowd in Houston probably had another feature that should be recognized as probably the largest assemblage of millionaires in the history of the world. They've been so successful. They're hard, such hardworking, entrepreneurial, you know, just play by the rules. They, they've, they're the, they're living the American dream. They have. And then I consider it the tail wag the dog. And that is the people of India saw the success of their Indian American cousins in the United States and shifted from a Fabian socialist system to a free market system substantially because they saw that capitalism works. And so it's just a relationship, but now militarily very important. 
And sadly, with the conflict and the 2,100-mile border that India and China have, how dangerous this is. Another country, Dan, that I've seen incredible change is uh, Vietnam. I've been there twice. And to see the love and affection of the United States, that too is driven by first a respect for the American military and the professionalism of the American military, but equally of concern as they do not want to be absorbed by the People's Republic. That is amazing. Tell me about a little bit more about the OSCE and your visit there, because, you know, there's oftentimes there's a rap on the Republican Party or there's a rap on the Trump administration that they're anti-multilateralism. I think that's an intellectually lazy statement and it's not true. And I think the fact that your participation, in the OSCE, you know, attests to sort of the, a large and engaged United States in the multilateral system. Talk a little bit about your experience with the OSCE. Well, I'm really grateful that we have a bipartisan membership. The uh, chairman is Congressman Alcee Hastings of Florida. And I know lightnings go strike, but actually so many times we can work together. And it also uh, relates to uh, country caucuses, too, that we can work together. I'm very grateful to be the co-chair of the EU caucus, along with Congressman Greg Meeks of uh, New York. Uh, but over and over again, and hey, I'm the uh, co-chair of the Afghan caucus, with uh, Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee of Texas. Over and over again, we can work together. And then the OSCE is a body that uh, has representatives from all of Europe and uh, with uh, visiting delegations from Israel, from Morocco, Tunisia, other countries that we have a great relationship with. And it's a very positive forum of members of parliaments from all across Europe working to work together including uh, now North Macedonia. That is amazing. Tell me about your trip to Poland and the reception you got there and why they value the United States. Well, it was to Krakow and it was on the 70th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz and Birkenau. And I was really honored to be on that delegation, but we also did spend time with citizens of Krakow. And I, again, it's very personal. My I was very grateful that I have a daughter-in-law who's Polish-American, Jennifer Miskowitz-Wilson, and I was very pleased that the leading statue in the main square was to Adam Miskowitz, a very prominent poet of Poland, who uh, it was a pleasant surprise to me is my uh, daughter-in-law is a descendant. Uh, and so, what? hey, it's called Small World. It's a small world. But to, hey, to see Poland come to life, sadly, with the uh, downturn in the economy, this has got to be faced, but actually Poland was the only country in Europe and maybe in the world that has had 25 years of uninterrupted economic growth by having the free market principles in place, a country that sadly has to remember September the 1st, 1939, the invasion by the Nazis from the West and the, um, and the Soviets from the East and the division of their country. And now, hey, to see Poland as a vibrant member of NATO. And hey, and this is really important. It relates to something else. Let me jump ahead. And that is with all of the misstatements about the Trump administration relationship with the Russian Federation, by having placed American troops in Poland for the first time in history is very, very significant. It was exactly what Vladimir Putin did not want. And in addition, President Trump met last week with President Duda to actually move more troops into Poland. And so when you look at the president's actions relative to the Russian Federation, clearly he has taken actions, whether it be sanctions, 
of the different military organizations and individuals of the Russian Federation, but also really meaningful was to provide Javelin missiles to the people of Ukraine uh, to defend themselves from Russian tanks and Russian aggression. Um, over and over again, the, the president has acted very strongly multiple times against Putin's aggression, and it's real. And so people should not look just at words. They should look at actions. And President Trump has been very firm against the aggression by, sadly, uh, the Russian Federation. You know, just on this issue of Poland, they're a very successful, quote unquote, graduate of American foreign aid. Now, obviously, Poland did the work, but we were very generous, starting with George H.W. Bush through Clinton and really to the beginning of George W. Bush. We, for a 10 year period, we helped support them kind of reset up free market mechanisms, set up a democracy. Like you said, they've had 25 years of growth. They've got a stable democracy. We enjoy really high approval ratings. They're a member of NATO. They're happy to burden share with us on defense challenges like Russia. That's in a story of providing foreign aid and being a partner to them over a long period of time and that having a payoff of having a country willing to burden share with us on big problems. I like Poland's story a lot. Um, and I do think... Um, let me turn to China, though. Well, hey, in terms of I, hey I mean, you, you hit on Poland, but hey, I want to commend again your service with the United States Agency of International Development. And indeed, foreign aid has made such a difference. And we can go back in history. And that is, to me, the ultimate was the Marshall Plan, the recovery of Europe in particular, but Germany in particular, to go from uh, being a vicious, brutal, merciless enemy of the United States to become one of the strongest allies that we have and ultimately in 1989 to ultimately lead to its reunification. But that was due to aid and the recovery of France, of Italy, Spain, uh, countries that had been either overrun or opposed uh, the United States. And another success story, of course, has been Korea to develop one of the wealthiest countries on earth. And then to contrast that to the Democratic People's Republic next door, which is one of the poorest countries on earth. And so foreign aid has had a positive impact around the world. I'm just really grateful for America's influence, so positive in providing for freedom and democracy and free markets around the world. Congressman, I so appreciate you saying that. I think you're absolutely right about Korea, absolutely right about Germany and Japan, Taiwan, South Korea, Poland. Colombia is another example, right? Our plan Colombia is another example of this. So you're absolutely right. Hey, I'm so glad you brought that up. I was the co-chair of the Partners of Americas program uh, South Carolina is associated with Southwest Columbia. And so I'm very grateful that we've hosted students to live with us from uh, Bogota, from Cartagena. We've had in Cali. And then two of my sons actually were exchange students to Cali, Colombia. But Plan Colombia is, I'm glad you brought that up. What a wonderful example of success in a, a country of 40 million people. We're not talking about a tiny little isolated situation and uh, what a model it is, particularly to be compared to the utter devastation which is occurring in Venezuela today. That's amazing. Let me shift to China because I think your report is really excellent and deals with the issue of China in quite a detailed way. What are some of the things that you're calling for vis-a-vis -vis China in the report? Talk about some of them. Well, the key thing that we're working on would be uh, selective enforcement of sanctions against members of the regime that have uh, very gruesomely interned uh, the Uyghur population, the Muslim population. And now we find out this week forced sterilization, maybe even a million people 
have been placed in detention camps or re-education camps, and which are actually turned out to be slave labor camps. Additionally, the attacks on the Tibetan Buddhists, and then, incredibly enough, the really blasphemous redoing of the Christian Bible to more reflect communist propaganda. It's shocking what they're doing, and people just sort of shrug their shoulders at what the Chinese Communist Party is doing. It's outrageous. Well, the CCCP, and gosh, isn't it incredible that sadly due to the Wuhan virus, the American people now see the duplicity where this was held up. The doctor who identified this initially was a whistleblower and sadly died. There were also doctors at the hospital there in Wuhan that also facilitated the whistleblower to bring this to the attention of the world. But then, of course, then we get to another issue, and that is the subversion of the World Health Organization and how their complicity, along with the Chinese Communist Party, CCP, to withhold from the world the danger of what has occurred with this pandemic. Wow. So is our problem with the Chinese Communist Party or with the Chinese people? It's so clearly the party and, again, their oppression of the people of Hong Kong. And again, it's personal to me. My dad served in Kunming, Shengtu, and Xi'an, China, with the Flying Tigers. And I, I grew up with a great appreciation personally and affection for the people of China. And the brutalization in World War II, the loss of life was incalculable across China. And sadly, I was like many people. Okay, I have to acknowledge I was almost as bad as the Clinton administration. I thought that the integration of our economies would result in a moderation, a opening up, a democratization of China, but that has not occurred. Sadly, they've taken the new technologies to actually improve an authoritarian regime. It's amazing. What do you think about these Confucius Institutes? Well, I'm really grateful that I was one of the first to raise this issue that Confucius Institutes seem to be strategically located at American colleges and universities across the country, very close by different research institutes. And so that comes back another thing that Secretary Gillespie has pointed out, and that is the intellectual property stealing and how they have benefited from taking advantage of Americans through the organization of the United Front Work Department. And more people need to know what the United Front Work Department is. It's a division of the Chinese Communist Party whose efforts are to subvert countries around the world and to infiltrate societies around the world to promote an authoritarian view of government. Should we be getting a full-on economic divorce from China? Or are we talking about having kind of instead of going from fifth gear to sort of second gear with China? It would be my view that uh, it should be of transparency, that we need to be tough but targeted to go after the Chinese Communist Party to have identification of which Chinese companies that are located in the United States that actually are associated with the military. We would provide for the revealing of any funds that are being provided to Confucius Institutes and or universities and or think tanks exceeding $50,000. Over and over again, there needs to be transparency. And then we need to continue our efforts to work for free trade agreements with our partners of Taiwan, India, Indonesia, the Philippines, Brazil, Korea, and reduce our dependency on China. I totally agree with that. We're using all these fancy terms of think tanks like supply chain resiliency, which I read as Let's not ever depend on China ever again for them threaten to cut us off from ventilators or pills or anything like that. Because I think the United States of America has just completely had it with being held hostage economically by them. That's It's totally ridiculous. So I totally agree with you, Congressman, about this. 
But it sounds to me like we should continue to engage China economically, but we need to be picky about it. We should continue to have Chinese students in the United States, but we need to be careful about it. So if somebody from China wants to come and study art history, I think you and I would agree that's fine. But if, if a Chinese student's 45 years old and it's a current member of the Chinese army and wants to study physics or atomic science or something, probably not so much, right? Hey, you're right on point. And hey, we can benefit working together. In my home state of South Carolina, we've actually had uh, positive uh, economic development. The higher corporation near my district actually produces apartment-sized refrigerators and stoves and microwaves. And so that's jobs, okay? And so, but it should be mutual in that we would want to have the opportunity to uh, and legitimately in China. And, and have so, a two-way oh, street that's fair. Yes. So over and over again, there are products, obviously, that can be made, but you hit it on the head too. We must not ever be dependent on pharmaceuticals, of all things, uh, on China. My deep thoughts, having spent a little bit of time on this, there's two deep thoughts I've got. One is, I think there've been a couple million Chinese uh, citizens have come and studied in the United States and several more million have studied in the West. These folks are probably in their 30s and 40s. They're not yet kind of taken the sort of full on big jobs of responsibility in the Chinese system. Don't quote me on this, but I think of the Politburo, which I think is like 25 members of the Politburo, two have studied overseas or studied in the United States. There may come a time 15 or 20 years from now when the Politburo has got 15 people who studied in the United States. I'm not saying that's necessarily going to change everything. We may not have fully seen the full effects of some of that. And I agree there has been rampant spying. I think we should absolutely be suspicious of the Confucius Institutes. It sounds to me like we're on the same page that we want to have engagement, but it ought to be transparent. It ought to be on a level playing field and stop spying on us and stop taking advantage of us as a partner is sort of our message, right? Absolutely. And it's vetting. We need to make sure, as you identified, that the persons who are coming as students or tourists or visitors or whatever, that indeed this not be uh, part of a military operation. Also, I would point out something else. It's always been uh, fascinating to me to see the success of Taiwan. They can see Taiwan, people of their same uh, heritage, doing so well. Again, the tail wags the dog. You put Taiwan together with Hong Kong, and suddenly, wow, free market capitalism has phenomenal positive ramifications. That's one of the reasons I think they've obviously had the phenomenal changes they've had in their country, but it's still not enough. And then I'm really grateful with the recent elections in Taiwan. She's a uh, tiger. And so uh, we have much to be hopeful for and the people of China to see life in America, to see life next door in Taiwan. It's the pilot light of freedom in East Asia. I love Taiwan, man. It's so good. That woman is amazing. That She is such an amazing leader. And hey, with the new technology, say many of us grew up in the Cold War where countries were totally isolated. Even uh, we can think of uh, Saddam Hussein's Iraq, where it was total and utter isolation, where people had no idea about anything. But today, it's an open uh, world. And that's why I want to see the uh, USIA reinstituted. Congressman, I thought that was the most interesting proposal you have on the table here, Congressman, is reinstituting USIA. Talk about that. I love this idea. Well, it's really meant to be public-private, and that is to provide for promotion of real news, not fake news, and then also to provide for promotion of free speech, of uh, democracy, uh, with all the different media platforms that we have. And I think, in, in particular, another country that comes to mind where it would be incredible because the young people of that country do want change is called Iran. And it's not closed. And 
it's hard to imagine that Iraq being so closed without a satellite dish, if you had one, you were executed. And then now we have a country, really, which has Western aspirations in the culture of Persia, fits right in to freedom and democracy. And so over and over again, I think we've got opportunities around the world. And by having the U.S. Information Agency reconstituted to provide, but not just individually by the government, it would be with uh, working together with the private sector. So, Congressman, two more things. Let's talk about Russia. U.S. intelligence has spoken about the prospects of Russia trying to influence our election this year. And there's obviously Russia's was in the news in the last couple of days about there's been rumors or purported involvement by the Russian military intelligence in Afghanistan, to put it mildly. Could you talk a little bit more about how the United States should be responding to Russia? Well, I'm grateful that what we're proposing is the toughest sanctions ever. The Trump administration has already put significant sanctions on Russia, particularly due to their aggression in Moldova and uh, Georgia and uh, Ukraine. But we would also go further, more sanctions. And then also, Russia, sadly, has been financing terrorist organizations, whether it be uh, Hezbollah or whether it be different terrorist organizations across Syria and possibly into Iraq, and then working uh, with countries that also are state sponsors of Iran and Venezuela. Bottom line, we would want to name Russia as a state sponsor of terrorism. And this is where I would hope that Democrats, if they're truly concerned about the uh, danger, which is correct, of the threat to freedom and democracy by an authoritarian Putin regime, we could work together. That's a strong statement, Congressman. That got my attention. I think that I'm going to watch that space. I think that's an important statement you just said, sir. Let me just put something out. I want to give you a chance to make kind of a wrap-up statement here, Congressman. I really liked the report. I was really pleased to see it. I think too many critics of the Republican Party say that we're isolationist. There's all sorts of kind of lazy critiques that we're not interested in participating in the multilateral system or we don't care about democracy and human rights or... We don't care about soft power as well as hard power. We don't care about allies. I think it's very far from accurate. So, Congressman, talk a little bit about just give us some parting thoughts about the RSC study and what people should understand as they understand why this study was put out and what the Republican study group is trying to say. Well, it clearly indicates that we do have a very important role of the United States in the world promoting freedom and democracy, American values. And we also have such a record of uh, success. Uh, We've gone over it, whether you begin with the Marshall Plan, go through Plan Columbia, you go to the restoration of freedom and democracy in Korea. Gee whiz, the uh, recovery that we made for that country to become one of the world's uh, most significant and successful economic stories. There's not a place that you can't go where you've seen, I think, a positive American influence. In Kenya, uh, very important in Africa, what we've done with the relationships there. And also Ethiopia, and also very significant uh, last year uh, was in Tunisia to see the success of that country over and over again in North Africa. And Morocco, what a success story working with the United States. And one of my favorites is actually Mongolia, okay? Uh, meeting with... Um, country. Yeah, meeting with uh, government officials there. They said, hey, Congressman, we love America. You're part of our three-legged stool. And uh, we would fall over it. We have good relationship with the Russian Federation, good federate, good relationship with the People's Republic, and best relationship with the United States of America, and that's why we're free. Wow. Amen. Amen. 
Congressman, congratulations. I also want to congratulate your fabulous staff. They worked really, really hard on this. This is a very high quality product. I know that they worked really hard with all of your, all the members on this. So I congratulate all the members of the Republican Study Committee, but I also want to congratulate your fabulous staff. So, Congressman, thanks for taking the time today. Well, I'm honored to be with you. And indeed, uh, Chairman Mike Johnson has just been a superstar getting things organized. And then staff persons like Omar Hosni, I'm just so grateful, and uh, Oren Adaki, people who uh, really care about promoting freedom and democracy around the world for the security of the United States and security of American families and opportunities for people around the world. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Thank you, Congressman. Honor to be with you. Thank you, Dan. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 